Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Steve Passanelli. Steve is the CMO of BombBomb, and BombBomb falls into this big trend that we all know that video content wins. But today's conversation is more about communication in so many ways. The way that Steve became CMO is really being the best communicator, the best advocate on behalf of BombBomb. He worked in another company and ultimately went on to be their CMO because he believed and had that passion. From there, we talk about the buyer journey and the importance of how we communicate. We talk about being concise, but really more than anything, ensuring that what we deliver is what people want to hear, not what message we want to get into that next engagement. This is a great episode. I can't wait for you to tune in. So here we go. podcast, I am really excited to chat because your journey is really unique. You were an advocate for the company that you're now a CMO for. So you obviously believe in it. How did this come to be? Yeah, that's that's the best part, right? You, you always want to sell or market products that you truly do believe in. And a good way to believe in it is to be a customer and, and realize benefit from the product. And so yeah, I ran a, a small sales and marketing team. We had eight or nine folks uh, at Realtor.com or, or Move, Move owned Realtor.com. And we would travel around the country and do these, these live events, this live tour, a 48 city tour. And it was easy to sell when you were face to face. There were four hour seminars and it was an edu sales type thing where we go there, we would train three and a half hours of like great educational content. And then like 30 minutes, 30 minutes mixed in of, hey, and if you want to do this easier, we have this great product, you know, in the back of the room, and you can sign up with, you know, with one of our reps back there. And so it was easy to sell during those events, you get 500 people in a room, hop on stage, after two hours of being in front of them, you built trust, you built rapport, it's like the whole journey, right? You condense that whole journey down in a face to face interaction. But if they didn't buy that day, I was having difficulty getting them to, to come back and make that connection. And that's when I stumbled upon video messaging and, and bomb bomb. And I'm like, oh, let me try this out. And we started sending video follow up and like, man, it just, it worked. It was amazing. I was ter- we were all terrible at it when we started. And that's, that's the hard part, right? Figuring out it's not just that the video tool does it. You need to know what to say, when to say, how to say. You need to understand the medium and how to use the medium. And it was just that journey of exploring it. Very cool. How long were you an advocate for the platform other than a user? Because I know you did some work with them and a lot of us always look for that advocate. And then there's that fear. We want to take them out of the role. They do such a good job for us in the field. Do we want to bring them out of the field? How did that come to be? Tell us about it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I definitely sold a lot of bomb bomb licenses 
being an advocate at realtor.com. And, you know, we would always go over tools and systems that real estate agents could use out there that would benefit their business. And I would talk about it all the time. And that got the attention of the founder, Darren. And he was like, hey, can I sponsor, you know, your tour? Can I pay you and come on tour? So then he just sat in the back of the room. And after I talked about it, everyone would sign up. And it was the the same thing. And so, you know, after I used it for like six months and kind of figured out the how to use it, how not to use it. When we first started sending video messages, I thought like a marketer and I would put marketing videos and we would send it out from our sales team and they did absolutely nothing for us. And it wasn't until it's like, whoa, not, not, we don't want to send marketing videos. We're not sending pitches. We're connecting with people on an emotional level. They're connecting with the salesperson. We need to send something different. And so once we understood that and and then Darren sponsored the tour and you know, began working with him for a couple of years. And then he was like, hey, why don't you come on to the team? And, and in 2015, that's when I decided, you know what, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I believe in it so much that let's, let's do it. So it's interesting. I, I, as you know, I have so many different marketers who come on and become a CMO and all their backgrounds are different. But you may be the first marketer where if I'm trying to tell the story, yes, I could tell the sales path because you started in sales. The other interesting part to me is, is that event path, because mm -hmm. you just described these events and running events are like small marketing campaigns day after day, uh, especially the number you described. What about the event space helped you understand how to become a better CMO? It's, it's everything. Events are a microcosm of the entire marketing process. Whether, you know, from getting people to the event through ads, through emails, through campaigns, through different channels and getting these you know, realtors to show up live somewhere, that was a difficult task. And that's only half the battle, you know, because they didn't buy yet. You're just getting them to, to buy into showing up to this place and giving their time, which is a difficult thing to do. And so it was a tough two part process. And it takes the whole funnel and condenses it down because Getting them to the event is like top of funnel, right? Where they have awareness of, of you and, and your brand, and then you move them down. And then when they're at the event, you have to build trust and rapport, which is easier to do face-to-face. -face. And that's why things like video do work. When people see you and they hear you, it, you know, there's so many things that are ingrained in human beings through you know, a millennia of speaking face-to-face -face that we use to determine if a message is valuable to us or not, because the messenger is just as important as the message itself. And digital communication, we remove the messenger from the message. You don't believe what the message says until you know who the message is coming from and how trustworthy the messenger is. And digital communication makes that difficult, right? But when you're face to face, it's easier. So you know, we were selling right there at the show, and then it's the follow-up to get people to come back next year. And that's a long, you know, there's the expansion, right? Just like in a, in a SaaS funnel. You know, now next year rolls around. Did we stay relevant for that whole year to get them to come back to that live event next year? Did we send enough valuable content in the meantime? So it was a microcosm of a full marketing, of really a full company, of eight or nine of us doing all the things that, that a company would do for this small group. And we brought in $8 million of new revenue, new SaaS revenue every year with eight people. So it was, it was like running, running your own business. It was a lot of fun, actually. I enjoyed it. That's amazing. And, and I think we sometimes undervalue good event marketers because there are event people who know how to make it look great. But as you said, the event marketers, I always say, they know how to make a great event 
a pipeline generating or customer interacting opportunity. And yeah. thinking about that pre and post follow-up is, is so important. As you have been able to transition to this role, though, you often hear people say, well, events isn't going to work for every CMO's playbook because depending on your ACV, depending on how you go to market, I'm curious how natural of a fit it ended up being for you as you know part of your playbook to now being in a company that was much more, as you said, about digital communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. We definitely started off with the same, you know, that that's what I knew. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to come in here and we're going to continue that because everything you do in marketing is an event of some type, whether it's a live event or a digital event, you know, you're creating experiences, you're making people feel if you're a good marketer, you're really making them feel and, and using their emotions. And so I got to, to bomb bomb and we continued down that path. Our path to success was hyper focus in particular segments and building trust and rapport and creating relationships uh, within that segment. And so we continued creating events, whether they're webinar events or live events or at different trade shows, and then use the same set of skills through digital marketing and digital advertising to uh, to promote the event. So like pillar pieces, we would create pillar events, pillar pieces of content, you know, which can sort of be an event. If you're launching uh, the latest case study or a guide or something, it's still an event in and of itself. I believe that a lot of great marketers can come from that events area uh, because they have such a holistic view. That's really interesting. I, I, I like that mindset that anything we launch is an event and it doesn't necessarily have to be going out to a conference to have that mindset. And without a doubt, over the last couple of years with the pandemic, I think we've all had to adjust what our definition has been with it as far as events go. That was tough for us too, because we focused a lot and we still, and we still did. And then, you know, we had the whole COVID thing hit and we excelled obviously for the obvious reasons because people couldn't meet face to face. So that helped our product. But in terms of like our marketing team, I had the marketing team structured, you know, around these, a lot of times these live events. And that was a, it was a difficult transition in that sense. What do you think, I, I mean, getting that CMO title, I want to come to that because it's, it's an important milestone for many marketers. You made obviously a, an impressive presentation on a day-to-day basis for the founder out in the field, as you said, joined at the VP level. What do you think it was that gave the confidence to get those three letters? I hate to say this, but I think it's the halo effect. Do you know what the halo effect is? Tell, tell us, fill us in. The halo effect is when, when you have visibility, like being on stage somewhere and you have the attention and you have the mic, people bestow qualities upon you that you do not yet obtain or have. And being on stage, and I got this all the time, you know, I, I, not in that sense, not in the, in the uh, tech savvy agent tour days with Realtor.com, but I was on stage even before that. So I have a decade of being on stage and people, it always amazed me about how people would come up to you and they think that you, know, you have the answers to all of these things. And like half the time, like I have no, I, you know, I have no idea, but, but the halo effect, real dynamic that happens, you know, that when you're on stage and you drop any type of knowledge and they find it beneficial, they bestow, bestow all of these other attributes towards you. And I think, you know, I, I know your show is a lot about, is it luck or is it hustle? And you kind of, you, you explore that. 
in, in this sense, it, there was a certain amount of, of luck. I'm a, I'm a hustler and I get out there and I do it, but like, it was, it was luck that were like, Hey, we believe that you can do this. Was I prepared at the time? I would say no. Did I bust my butt after to prove like, cause I didn't, I didn't want to let them down. Like the, the company founders are my friends. Like I hung out with them, you know, on the road before I came over. And the last thing I want to do is let them down. And so the, the hustle came before and after, but a lot of hustle after to make sure that I didn't fail the team. That's great. I mean, that mindset of, of what your perception is and living up to that is, is something that I think drives a lot of the best leaders at the end of the day. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with Steve. We'll talk a little bit about the buyer journey here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the areas that Steve and I hit on there that I want to go a little bit deeper on is what is an event in marketing? And it's really important to understand it's not just this brand interaction. It's not how our backdrop looks in our booth or what swag we give or how many people attend. It's that mindset of how we get people there in the first place and how we get them to remember us. Well, you got to remember when you go to an event, there are so many other vendors there. There are so many other speakers at that event. How do you get remembered? And I think as you listen to Steve today, he talks about connecting with people with what they want to hear. What is going to be that takeaway that they go back to their team and they talk about? That's the mindset that an event marketer needs to have. Not how do I create a great event, but how do I create a connection that is ongoing? So Steve, something I have not been able to say in a while is I just got back from an event, like a face-to-face -face event with other marketers. It was awesome. But you know, what was so great about it was being able to interact face-to-face, -face, just have conversations, talk to our customers, hear challenges. And the last couple of years, we haven't had that. And it's we've kind of gotten sick of yet another Zoom meeting. How do you think we need to communicate to our customers, communicate to our team members in these times? Yeah, well, why are you sick of the Zoom meetings? What are some of the things, Randy, that, that make you tired of that? That's a great, that's a great question. Number one, I feel like I got to look them in the eye the yeah. entire time. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's a lot. It's mentally a lot. Even, you know, I, being at this event, you can look down without being disrespectful. You can kind of look off to the side. You can move around with your body and have those breaks. Yeah. I find that on Zoom, I am like tunnel vision right into the screen. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can definitely happen. And it's such sustained effort. That's why it's draining. Right. And we know our attention spans today aren't quite the same as what our attention spans used to be. If you listen to all the studies and hear the goldfish analogies and everything else, the eight second attention span. Oh, I'm um, a goldfish for sure. <laughs> and and it's tough. It's tough to be on Zoom meetings all day because it requires a lot of attention. And that's where short form video messaging can come through because we have these two ends of the spectrum, right? You can either be in person or on Zoom at one end of the spectrum where you're getting this rich and more full communication, of course, being in person a little bit more rich and full. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is you know, your text-based messages, which are hard. You know, That's what we talked about in the beginning, removing the messenger from the message. And there's more emphasis placed on the specific words that you're using. And then there's this like big chasm in between Right. It's like I'm either going to send a text message or I'm going to do this half hour meeting that's you know exhausting and I got to get uh, everyone's schedule together at the right. That can be the exhausting part, just getting everyone's schedule at the right time and trying to get the right people in the right room at the right time. And that's where short form video messaging can come through, like whether you're going to do it through, you know, Slack has that functionality or do something like bomb bomb or there's other programs out there. The ability to record a short message and send it to someone to provide clarity, to build trust or rapport, to overcome complexity in, in what you're trying to explain. I mean, it's hard to type all of that out, but is it really worth a 30 minute meeting at the same time? There's this middle ground where you can record a four minute message, get your point across, build rapport and culture with the team because it's not just, hey, I wanna walk you through this document. You know. You, make a joke, talk about what you did last night. You know, you can have these little bite-sized interactions where people still get to see you and hear you. And it's a more human experience. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I was sharing this with you earlier that we've started in our own team to leverage solutions like Slack that have the ability to record a, I think, I think we're limited at a few minutes. I don't know the exact amount, but it, it forces you to keep the attention short span. And that person can do something else in theory at the same time while they consume that. So let's take this conversation though to how we interact with our customers because I think a lot can probably be learned in the same way that the attention span of our customers to tune in for a 45 minute webinar is not what it was uh, just as they don't wanna read through a 40 page ebook. What do you think your findings around human connection relate to the way we should engage our buyers? So a lot of folks feel when you buy, I think it was uh, Bala that, that said the shiny object. He was talking about the shiny object uh, syndrome on one of the last episodes of your show. You know, people think that a, a video tool, you know, they'll go and they'll invest, the marketing team, sales team will invest in a video tool and they'll think that the video tool itself is what's going to make the difference. And that has very little to do with anything. The whole purpose of a video tool is just a mechanism. It's just the way to deliver a person. And so you can buy a, a, you know, a video tool and send out videos, but if you put the same message in the video, or if you do a pitch or you make it feel like a webinar, like you were saying, where you're pitching your product or your services, it's not going to work. It's, it's the wrong medium. It's the, you know, it's the wrong channel for that type of message and short form video messaging yet is another channel for you to communicate. And that's why you know, we put together the book, you know, human centered communication, because when you send out video messaging, 
you need to put the needs, the wants, and the interests of your recipients on equal or level playing field as your own. And it's a different way of, of thinking about your messaging. Is this valuable for the recipient? You know, people think the novelty of video is what's going to help them. And it's not the novelty of video. It's the richness or the depth of the message that you can provide. But if you're just going to do a sales pitch, it's not going to work. If you reach out to connect, if you reach out to communicate more fully, if you reach out with something of value, that's what's going to be helpful. Because every message you send someone teaches someone whether or not they should open your next message. Every video you create, every social media touch, every ad that you create teaches people whether or not they should read your next ad, open your next message, or watch your next video. We're, we're creatures of habit, and people create habits quickly. And so the value of the messaging is what's key, and, and that's, what, that's what we like to teach. So the, the book you referred to is called Human-Centered Communication. People can go grab it, I believe, at bombbomb.com slash book. Yeah, or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, yep, wherever. Wherever you get your books uh, can be found. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, which is pretty cool. Congrats on that. Thank you. Aside from the learnings, maybe you can talk to us from an execution perspective of someone that you've seen execute communication to their customers, to their buyers, in a way where, as you said, the message is engaging. It's not another webinar that's going to be 45 minutes where they set up the problem and the solution and things like that. Like, what have you seen as of late that has really motivated you to want to up your own marketing game? Oh, what have I seen? Hmm. Now you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot here. So I know this is going to be a, a, a bit weird, but would you mind if I just told you a personal story here, Randy? I love that. I love it. Um, and then we'll tie it into how how companies are actually using this strategy as well. But something that that I figured out, I wanted to do a personal project last year, and I did something called the Gratitude Project. I always start my days or my mornings off with gratitude. And I was like, you know what? I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. We live in an amazing time where we can hear the insights from the smartest people on the planet. It's like, we should be grateful as hell for something like this. And so what I started doing is I would listen to my podcast in the morning while working out. And then as soon as I got to work, I would record a video for the guest of that podcast. I ended up sending out a little over 130 individual messages over the course of the year to authors, CEOs, founders, VPs, et cetera. And sending out those videos, I would just make it all about them. I'd say, thank you so much for being on the XYZ podcast. Here are the two or the three most valuable things that I took away. And here's how I'm going to use it in my day. Just wanted to reach out and say thank you. No other reason. I love that. I love that. And, and I know value is really important to your core mindset at yeah. BombBomb too. So the fact that you were tying, I guess, the value they brought to you was probably a way to link it to your business at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I didn't mention or say anything about BombBomb. I was truly grateful for the information that they imparted. But the, the results from that is I got an 81% response rate. Not a not a opener or they played my video 81% of the time. 81% response rate from that and from amazing people like you know Tiffany Bova from Salesforce. And and then like I built relationships with these people. And now I have relationships with them. And some of these people are actually bomb bomb customers now, which is fantastic. And so the the method that I used to reach out came from a place of, of true gratitude. And we've taught 
other companies how to do this who have a high ACV. You know, here's listen to an episode, reach out and truly thank them and do not pitch your product. And, you know, take have the BDR do this and say what you've learned and just start that relationship. If you have an open relationship with someone and then you gradually change it over to your product later, you have a better chance of selling it rather than trying to leap the Grand Canyon being like, are you ready to take a look at our product yet? No, just say thanks and be grateful. I love that. You know, I, I think I think that's something that we probably need to be more mindful of both as marketers and as you're outlining as a sales rep. And, and there's temptation to always be selling. But in some cases, we don't just need to educate, we need to connect in some sort of way. And, and, I, and I think that's probably, you know, that mindset you have around human-centered connection in the book. Uh, we're going to take one more break here. We'll be back with Steve with some rapid-fire questions after this break. Steve hit on this idea of asynchronous or synchronous communication and what is best. And I think what we have to realize more and more is that people want to be on their own timeline. Buyers want to buy when they want to buy. We want to jump into meetings when works for us, especially in a more remote first work environment. And I think we have to be aware of that in how we communicate. We need to make sure that we can be more bite-sized as Steve talks about. And we need to ensure that what we're delivering can be consumed by anyone without the need or opportunity to go back and forth. How do we deliver insights that they can take and they can share with their team without having to share a full conversation? This is difficult, but it's a challenge we have to be mindful of as marketers in this new era. Steve, we have unpacked how you got to be the CMO after being an advocate. We've unpacked the buyer journey and the importance of communication. Now we're gonna see how quickly you can communicate because we've got our rapid fire questions. My first one for you is, as you look at the next CMO, they could be someone on your team today, someone out there you've met. Do you think they're coming up as a marketing generalist or with some sort of specialization in marketing? Uh, I do believe a generalist for sure. You know, if you, I've been studying a lot about the, the inventions that people have created, and it's not from someone that has a deep level of knowledge in a particular category. Most prolific inventions throughout our history came from someone that had a, a general knowledge, enough to be dangerous, but not too much to have these, these walls that are up of what can and can't be done. And so someone that has a little bit of knowledge across the board is going to think more broadly. Love that. What do you wish marketers, either on your team or ones that join you out of the gate, what do you wish they would do more of on a daily basis? As marketers, I think our, our most important plight is distillation of complex information and communication, communication with one another, with different departments, you know, the people that take initiative uh, to provide clarity to other folks within the company, provide clarity to the customer, provide clarity around the product, clarifying your message and clarifying your, your goal and your plight and your North Star is the utmost of importance. And I think the more we can focus on that, the better. Sounds like more focus on communication yet again. <laughs> a theme. All right. My, my next one for you comes to content. And, we, and we've talked about content indirectly all day uh, together here. When you get content, content marketing, what stands out to you as being something that pulls you in? 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not like as the CMO of BombBomb, as soon as I read that, that type of inbound messaging or content, it's like, click, uh, no thanks. So go in the, the, the delete file. Yeah, and I, I think we kind of visited this a little bit before. It's, it's someone truly understanding the problems that we have as consumers and whether you're marketing to a CMO or VP of sales, uh, understanding their, their plight. That's why I think it's, it's good to be a generalist as well. One of the people, you know, in the last question you asked who on your team could be the next CMO and, and someone comes to mind that was also in product. They were in product. They went from sales to marketing over to product and back over to marketing. And I think that's a, that's a perfect person also to re-answer a question for, for a CMO, just because of the, the breadth and depth of knowledge that they have. I love it. So we, we talked a little bit about the most recent book. Um, this is your second book. The first one I think is the definitive guide to better business communication. Rehumanize your business. Yeah. That was the subline. Yep. All right. Now, what is your number one takeaway for people when it comes to communicating more effectively? What is, you know, what is the one thing that they can start doing right after this podcast? Yeah, we provide a, a few different frameworks around how to communicate. A lot of people think about their communication retroactively. Um, it's backward looking, it's, it's reactive, it's in review. They, people say things like, why didn't they open my email or my campaign? Why didn't they react to my campaign? Why didn't they play my video? Why didn't they? And one of the simplest and easiest things that you can do is just change it to a forward-looking statement, future-oriented, proactive, and ask it ahead of time. And so when we create campaigns or do anything um, here, we write down the questions. Why would they engage with this campaign? Why would she open this email? Why would he play this video? Why would he? And if you just take that little bit of extra time and actually write it down and think it through, you can come up with an infinitely better message just with a few extra seconds of, of thought. That is great advice. I love that. I, I think too often when we in, you know, think of something as simple as an email nurture, we think of what message we want to get in at every stage versus what is the likelihood that someone will engage to your point. I love that. And and I'm sorry, Randy, can I answer it one more way too? Yeah. If people look at business of, of what's, what's viable. What does the business need? And they start there. And then they say, do we have the technology to do it? And then they say, okay, yes. And then they go rather than saying, okay, what's desirable for our recipient first? What does the human being want? And then is that viable for our business? And then do we have the technology? And that's the trifecta, right? Putting the, the needs of people first and then putting your business needs second, because that's how you're going to find the, and unlock the best messaging to connect with your best client. Love it. Last question for you here today, Steve, which is how do you take a break from the busyness of the CMO gig? Uh, how do you prioritize your own personal life, personal journey as you do that? Where's your next place you hope to travel? <laughs> I'm not too good at that. I always want to go to New Zealand. So I'll just toss, toss that out there. I've never been there. You know, I see pictures and it looks, it looks absolutely amazing. Um, we do first Fridays at BombBomb, which has helped me a lot and it's something new. So tomorrow I have off and the whole company has off because it's the first Friday of the month and I've been woodworking and I've been building very a workbench cool. and shelves. And so that's how I've been escaping and it's been very therapeutic. 
<laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to pitch that to their uh, <laughs> HR team after this podcast as well. It's a better way to communicate yeah. those products. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for, for joining us and for everyone who's tuned in and heard about your career journey, the type of buyer journey, the focus on communication. I, I think we've taken a lot away. And as you said, every, every guest we've got has a little bit of a different perspective I hope one day whoever's listening to this is on here sharing theirs and their journey. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.